Hello Marlins fans and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer Jeremy Taché, as always joined by Craig Mish. Craig, Thursday morning as the Marlins head into a seven game series over a weekend. How are you feeling after the Braves series and headed into Philly now? Well, I was feeling a lot better before Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, for that, sure. that's, that's for sure. But but overall, the, the games all count the same. So I suppose you know, taking two out of three from Atlanta is significant because they've had so much trouble against them. And, and it does speak to a couple of different things. First and, and foremost, the Marlins have played better baseball. I think that's important. And secondly, it's a wide open year. You have Atlanta who goes into a season and they sign Cole Hamels. He hasn't pitched a game for them thus far. Uh, Mike Fultonewich has has been at their alternate site. And Michael Soroka is out for the year. Mm. So, I mean, essentially, every team is having some significant issues and injuries. and, And the Braves are going through it right now. They missed Acuna. They missed Albies. And you know, nothing is going to touch the Marlins missing 18 players, that's for sure. But uh, they, they definitely caught the Braves at the right time and ended up winning two out of three. And so we're, they're in a situation right now where if if they can, in this Philadelphia series, at least go above 500, which I think would be a goal because I don't I don't expect them to win all seven games. But if they can get to right. above 500, I would think that it puts them in a really good position to make the playoffs and make the postseason because by the time we get out of this series, I think we're going to have a lot better understanding as to where they uh, stand with that. And so I think for the Marlins at this point, realistically, they're chasing the seventh seed or eighth seed. I think that those are the two positions that they're best equipped. And and I think that that will come down to the final week of the season. Mm. And And as you mentioned, I mean... This is a seven-game series coming up with Philly. Coming off of, remember, winning a series against Atlanta regardless of a 29-9 to score. I think we have to, to remember those previous games winning 8-0, feeling good uh, about those wins over Atlanta. It's just one loss. But after this seven-game series with Philly, the Marlins will be 45 games into their season, three-quarters of the way through. And right now, they sit just a game and a half back of Philly. So as you mentioned, you know they're fighting for that seven or eight spot. But a game and a half back of Philly headed into a seven-game series here, competing for the number two spot in the NL East. It feels like things are not make or break with this series, but that this is a, a huge series for the Marlins as they head into it. What are your thoughts as to how the Marlins can kind of handle Philly headed into this weekend? Well, well, Miami will have Sixto Sanchez in one of the games, and so that yeah. game they'll be at a clear advantage. Uh, Aaron Nola will be in one of the games for Philadelphia, so that will be a clear advantage for them, basically, unless he's you know facing off with Sixto Sanchez. Hmm. Uh, the double headers, in particular, you would think favor uh, Miami, but I, I've heard uh, you know conversely on the Philadelphia end in the discussions that I've had is uh, Philadelphia is certainly very excited about those series because their bullpen has not been stellar, and so less bullpen equals better results. Uh, for Philadelphia there. And I think from a tactical point of view, it's it's very rare that we've been in this position in a a number of years, just looking at how important a series is. But you you have two uh, former uh, Yankees staff members here in Don Mattingly and Joe Girardi, who are going to go managerial head to head in this one uh, and a former Marlins manager in Joe Girardi. So I, I think everything, you know, certainly is is in play. And, and I think that some of the important parts of this 
will certainly be how Miami's offense performs because their pitching has been really good for the most part. And and I think that that's really where the question would come in. We know Philadelphia can hit the ball. I mean, you cannot compare the two teams in terms of offense when you have Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and JT Real Muto and and Didi Gregorius and players like that. I mean, the Marlins just can't stack up offensively, but their pitching hypothetically can. And and although that we have seen some regression a little bit, which would include the game on Wednesday night, I still do think that Miami's pitching potentially can be better than Philadelphia's. I know their their bullpen can be better than Philadelphia's because yeah, the, sure. Philadelphia's bullpen's been historically bad. Uh, but again, you're talking about doubleheaders where you don't need that as much and you only need to get seven innings out of the players. So, you know, certainly we'll see. As, as you do head into this Philly series, that is sort of the key, as you mentioned. It's it's the Marlins starting pitching, and what can they get out of whoever is starting those second games of doubleheaders, right? You'll see all five starters for the Marlins who are healthy right now. Obviously, no Eliezer Hernandez. Urania takes that spot. But how can the Marlins sort of get through those other games as well? And, you know, you mentioned Sixto and how well he's pitched thus far. Through four starts, his ERA is just at 180. And he's been nearly unhittable. Two of those starts, he hasn't given up a run at all. What are your thoughts on just the emergence of Sixto Sanchez and, you know, his potential headed into not only the rest of this season, but into the future for the Miami Marlins? Yeah, I, I think that he's he's certainly got a bright future. He looks as good as any pitcher that they've had in a long period of time. I made the comment the other day that it reminded me of Jose Fernandez, and I actually went back and I looked, and Sixto Sanchez has been better than Jose Fernandez's first five or six starts. Now, wow. Jose, uh, at the midway point of his rookie season, basically took things to another level and, and really essentially never looked back uh, with the exception of his injury where he missed a year because of uh, because of Tommy John surgery. But right. but Sixto's first few starts have statistically been better than Jose's. And so we're just going to have to watch and see how his future looks. But I would say at this point, he looks like the ace of a rotation. Miami's rotation is is fronted by Sandy Alcantara. I don't think that that will change going into the end of this year and next year. But Sixto is firmly planted, I think, as the club's number two starter. And 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 to me, he he has to be back next year, be let go. Look, we're look should be looking at 175, 200 innings, I would think, from yeah. him. And then as far as other players and other pitchers who could potentially throw this weekend, look, Trevor Rogers is going to be in that mix. We know that for sure. We're going to see Sandy on Thursday night. At this point, I think Pablo uh, would be going next week at some point, and you got to be a little concerned with the way that he's looked the last couple times out. And then uh, they're going to have to mix and match for sure, and I would expect them having to dip down to the alternate campsite again. Edward Cabrera is a little bit further away than Nick Neidert and some of the other potential options, Braxton Garrett, some of those other pitchers, because he uh, had to stop pitching with an injury at some point during spring training. But he is facing live hitting. Uh, The the term that I was using is sort of running out of time a little bit to make his Mm -hmm. debut in, in 2020, maybe the last week of the season and the postseason could specifically be an option for him. But beyond that, Jeremy, I don't think that that would be that would be somebody that we would be looking at. Yeah, and you, you know, you mentioned uh, Nick Neidert, who who looked good. You know, Nick Neidert looked good the the couple of times, or I guess the only maybe one appearance that he had at the beginning of this season before all the COVID stuff. So, you know, whether it's Garrett or or 
Castano or Neidert getting that call up for those second games, you know, it will be interesting to see the way they mix and match. And remember, the Marlins play a seven-game series, essentially a playoff series, here with Philadelphia, and then head into playing Boston at home, and then five more in three days with the Nationals. So they could, if they have a good series here with Philadelphia, and like you said, end up a game or two above 500. You face a couple of teams who have been pretty bad thus far this season before ending your season with Atlanta and the Yankees. As the Marlins head into this weekend, are there any sort of other thoughts or comments specifically on players or the team in general that you do want to get in here as as we do sort of wrap up this episode? Yeah, Isan Diaz is working closer to a return, so I would expect to see him fairly soon, whether it's this weekend or early next week, I think that's somewhat uh, up in the air at this point. Uh, remember, it was his choice to opt out, and so the Marlins have to handle that a little bit delicately with the players who did not, and so therefore Jazz Chisholm has the one that's been the beneficiary of the playing time, and I think that of all the things that we've seen from the rookies and the young offensive players, Jazz Chisholm on Wednesday night may have given us the best moment that we've had thus far. Again, sure. we got we got to be transparent with it and we got to call it fairly. If you added up all of the numbers of the players who the Marlins have called up first year players, the numbers are very ugly. Yeah. And I understand they are all first year players. And who are we talking about at this point? We're talking about uh, Lewin Diaz. We're talking about Monte Harrison. We're talking about Jesus Sanchez. And we're also talking very clearly about Jazz Chisholm. Those are and you know Eddie Alvarez, you could throw him in there too. But hypothetically mm-hmm. speaking, Jeremy, those are the players that are supposed to be carrying the offense over the next few years. And we can't sit here and say that they have some of the best prospects in baseball, and then they all come up and don't perform. Um, I think it is fair to look at it and say that this is their first year, and there's going to be some growing pains with that. But uh, I was given a very excellent counter to that the other day in, in a discussion that I had with somebody who told me, well, if, if, if we're going to give accolades to all the young starters on the Marlins who are making their debut, why are we not giving the same criticism to the offensive players who are making their debut? And I thought that that was an excellent point because in general, pitchers are going to be the ones that are going to be slower to the success rate than hitters. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, two rookies in Major League Baseball last year ended up hitting almost 50 home runs or 40 home runs in Pete Alonso and Jordan Alvarez. And there are there are other players in baseball that are coming up and hitting right away. I'm not going to make that excuse. I don't think it is fair. Their first year offensive players have all struggled and have all struggled in a very big way. Is it concerning to them right now? I don't think so, because they're in a much better position than they could have possibly predicted at the beginning of the year. I do think, in my mind, that they're going to have to take a much closer look at this in the offseason and determine which of those young players can be ready for the big leagues in 2021, or potentially will they have to move some more starting pitching to get hitting. I think it could end up being the latter. I'm not 100% sure that they are 100% sure that all of those names that I just rattled off are going to be big league players. Though publicly, of course, that's what they will say. But privately, I don't believe that is the case. There's no doubt that um, that that you have to be fair on both sides of this. You can't, on, on the one side, say Sixto Sanchez is a star and just ignore the fact 
that the offensive statistics for all of the young kids that they've called up have been dismal. You can't, you, you can't do that. It's not fair. Uh, so they may have to take a closer look at this. And at this point, uh, with the exception of Jazz's night, Jeremy, on Wednesday, how many real positive signs offensively have you seen from all the players that I've mentioned? There, there, there's been a game or two. Yeah, sure. I mean, Monte hit a home run at one point. It was a very big home run for them. I know they ended up losing the game. Lee when Diaz hit one off the wall, yes. But, you know, San, you know, Sanchez, his plate approach was good. Okay, yeah, sure. But, I mean, the, the, the back of the baseball card combined with all the players tells the story. So the good news is, is Cooper is back. He is hitting Alfaro. It looks finally like he is in his groove. You know who Alfaro is. He's going to give you three or four good weeks at a time, disappear for a while, then come back and do it again. Uh, <laughs> so that's we're we're in the good stretch right. now for Alfaro. So potentially that could continue as well. Uh, look, the, the offense for the Marlins is, is, is okay. It is not great. It's going to need additions, I believe, in the offseason. Is it good enough to get them into a 16-team postseason? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's the fascinating part about this whole Marlins season, right, is we've been watching, looking at all of those players, looking toward the future, yet they're sitting here competing this season for a playoff spot. And while it is, you know, exciting in moments when you see good at-bats from Jesus Sanchez or Lewin Diaz, and, and Diaz had a big double at one point, I believe, in New York, and, and Monte had that homer, as you mentioned, but when you are watching those guys and we're getting so excited over just competitive at-bats, when just look in your own division, when Ronald Acuna came up, that was instant. You know that guy's going to be a star. When Juan Soto comes up, it's instant. Yeah, there hasn't Fernando been that Tatis, yet. That's a, you're, you're giving great examples of players. And, and, and I and I and I think that's an excellent point on your part, and it needs to be addressed. Who is that player on the Marlins? Who who is that guy? Uh, they may not have one. They may have to piecemeal it together. But but again, you 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 cannot in in your heart you cannot look at this thing impartially and and give credit to the organization for developing and having all of these young starting pitchers do well, and then just basically sweep under the rug the fact that those five guys or four guys are hitting a buck 10, you know, like you, you, right. you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. Right. So uh, it look, JJ Bladet, we haven't seen him yet. So that'll be addressed. Remember they have a lot of pitching depth that we have not seen Max Meyer, who they drafted. They drafted all of right. these pitchers in the off season the year before they drafted Chris Machma and, and some other starters who they feel really good about that they haven't had a chance to see. So Maybe in the offseason we are talking about another trade of a starting pitcher to acquire more offense. I think that that's probably what they're going to have to do. I can't see them coming back like this again uh, with with the offense that we've seen because it's just gone uh, dark too many times for them. Um, also, one other player that definitely uh, has looked you know significantly better has been uh, Lewis Brinson. And, and honestly, I give the organization a lot of credit for that one because they've certainly to me, identified what his strength is, and that's hitting left-handed pitching. I, I don't think that he's an everyday player, and and I don't think that you'll see the same success if you are forcing him into situations to go up against right-handed pitching all the time, but they have found the niche there, and he definitely has succeeded a lot against lefties, and so that is something, at the very least, that they have created uh, a major league ball player out of someone that did not appear uh, was one, but I would not change the approach there. I would not all of a sudden just start throwing him against Max Scherzer and Aaron Nola, like I went into Grom. Um, you know, I just wouldn't do that. I, I just I would keep it right. the way that it's going because you're having success with it. And then finally, uh, another topic that's 
that's uh, that's come up at least nationally is the idea that Don Mattingly is the manager of the year, and I and I think that that has to be in in some serious consideration. He is going to have competition. Uh, Mattingly has had to overcome more uh, than anyone has, that's for sure. And I don't know how much that will be factored in to the decision. If it is a factor, he's the manager of the year. If we're looking at the overall record, and and Jace Tingler of San Diego has to be in that conversation. Shockingly enough, Gabe Kapler has to be in that conversation. Yeah. No one had the the people had the Marlins better than the Giants going into the year. Yeah. If you don't if you don't think that that's true, go check the numbers. They did. So uh, he has to get a lot of credit for what he's done too. That that's a that's a big uh, blind spot for me in the year. I thought the Giants were going to be one of the worst teams in this sixty game season. I was wrong about that. But uh, Donnie sure. to me has has earned to be the right to be in that conversation. We still have three weeks left to determine that. But in terms of overcoming what he has had to, I think that that is in the equation. And the other part of this now that is really glaring for me is that with Mike Rizzo getting his contract extension with the Washington Nationals, which was basically a foregone conclusion because he was coming off a World Series, they've had a bad year. I mean, that's just, you know, the Nationals were at this point 40 games into last season. They looked the same and they came alive. Uh, the the Marlins very quickly are going to have to make a decision on on Michael Hill, the president of baseball operations. His contract is running out. I've mentioned it basically once a month since we started yep. off, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do it here again. I I don't like the fact that this is gonna go right down to the wire, but it apparent it apparently will. When when we had uh, Marlins CEO Derek Jeter on the podcast last time, he said that they hadn't had a conversation about it yet, and I don't know right. if that has changed. But he to me has done an unbelievable job during this time and has earned the right to me, just like Don Mattingly did last year uh, to, to certainly uh, see it through. So um, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll have to see. I'm um, I, I was not sure on, on Mike maybe a month ago or two months ago, what, what they would end up doing. And I think that I've spoken about this before. Remember that his previous contract was extended by the previous owner and Jeffrey Luria. And I don't know the the finances as to how that worked out. And maybe that is something that would have to be addressed at some point. I can't sit here and tell you that it won't. I think it will. But to me, Mike Hill, with the acquisitions and finding guys like James Hoyt, who looks like he could be a part of the team now moving forward, Richard Blyer, who I feel the same way about, uh, he, he's done a great job. And, and the trades that he's made, if you look at the overall work, the overall body of work, everyone just points to that same Christian Yelich trade, which is you know, obviously a disaster. It was not a good trade. They did, they did not win that trade. It's a loss. But they won every other trade, like every single one, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of Gallon and Jazz. We don't know yet. We have to wait. But beyond that, still undecided. yeah, but beyond that, they he won all of the other trades, every single one of them. And, and I know that I understand that the Yelich one is glaring because of who he became. But, you know, there's there's other things that happen behind the scenes. And 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 Christian Yelich, uh, you know, really pushed buttons in a way <laughs> that very few players will do to get yourself out of a situation. We'll leave it at that. And and I and I hope that I'm not sitting here at the end of the season wondering if Mike Hill's going to be back next year. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that in the next two weeks we get word that he's been extended. Uh, look, Rizzo won a World Series. Rizzo right. is at the top of his profession right now as the general manager of the World Series champs. 
and and his contract wasn't renewed until September. So <laughs> so in fairness to Mike, may, maybe that had to happen before Mike happened, and maybe the Marlins wanted to see things through a little bit more. But please do not let this go into the offseason and me have to track the story down. So I would ask the Marlins to beat me here on this story because I don't want to <laughs> beat I don't want to beat you guys on this one. Please beat me. I like I like uh, pleading on the podcast here for that one. Just just waiting and hoping that 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 comes out before you have a chance to break it. Uh, as they head into this series again, the Marlins sit in a playoff spot at the moment. So do the Philadelphia Phillies. This should be one heck of a seven game series. We don't often get to say that in the middle of a regular season. A seven game series that will get us to the three quarters mark of this sixty game season. The Marlins and Phillies start tonight. Sandy Alcantara on the mound. Be sure to follow us at Swings and Mishes for any updates on this game at Craig Mish, at Jeremy Taché. And be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. And we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>